All right. So how's everyone doing? We're good. We're good. Okay. All right. Uh, well, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Joel. My wife, uh, Emma, and I used to be here at Menai Anglican about six years ago. Uh, we're at this church for around about 10 years. Uh, I think we have a picture of my wife and I and our kids uh, on the screen. Yes? There we go. So that's, that's me. Uh, I'm the cute one. And then there's... Uh, Elijah, who's nine, uh, he was uh, here, and then little Isaac, he's six, and little Lily, and of course, Emma. Uh, we love this church. It's a real joy and privilege to come back here. Uh, Emma became a follower of Jesus uh, here at the youth ministry of Menai, and both of us were discipled deeply uh, here at this church. Uh, and it was in this room uh, where the Lord stirred within us, uh, I guess, a conviction to want to uh, leave, I guess, civil engineering and go into ministry. And, and uh, I've been a pastor for a few years. And uh, for those who are interested in terms of our family, uh, we're now planning a church in Wollongong, uh, a beautiful city down south of here, uh, a city uh, that is growing and a city that needs Jesus. Uh, and we'd really appreciate your prayers, your promotion and your par- partnership in that good work that we're doing down there as well. But hey, that's enough about us, the deacons. Uh, for the last week, I've had the joy and privilege of being at Camp One uh, with these guys. Uh, and we've been looking at the book of Colossians. And as we look through the book of Colossians, uh, we've been learning what it means to be anchored in Christ. Um, And as we've been going through the book of Colossians, I've been giving the youth and the kids some big theological words for them to understand. All right, so I'm trying to give you your money's worth, parents. Um, And I want to go through four of those words now and teach you, I'll show you, sorry, that I've taught them well. Okay, so kids, you've got to use the voices, all right? You've got to use the voices. The first word is? Redemption. Redemption. Second word is? Now, I know parents are like, well, how are they going to say the third word, right? The tension here. How do we say the third word, everyone? Revival! And the fourth word? Renew! Renew! <laughs> That's how you say those words, if you're wondering. Um, tonight, we're going to learn one more word. And it's, hey, guess what? It begins with R. I know. Creative genius over here. Appreciate my brilliance. Uh, and tonight's word is resurgence. Resurgence. Yeah. How do you say resurgence, everyone? Resurgence. Resurgence. Everyone turn to the person next to you and say, with a deep voice, resurgence. resurgence. What is resurgence? We'll find out in a minute, but how about I pray? Father God, I thank you for the gift of now. I thank you so much for the gift it is to gather as, as, as God's people and to open up the scriptures, we, we thank you that when the, when the Bible speaks, that God speaks. Holy Spirit, I pray as we, as we come to your word now that you may teach us, that you may convict us, that you may help us see Jesus and understand the good news of the gospel, that you may convict us as well to know what it means to follow our Lord and King and what it means to be on mission for Him. Lord, we thank you for the week we've had. We thank you for the souls that were saved and the disciples that were made. And Lord, I thank you for this church and for the people in this room. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. So there I was, lying down uh, on, the, on the, uh, the bed at the medical center. When the, when the doctor walks in, Joel Deacon, I say, yep, puts his hand straight on my head, has a look. Maybe a bit too deep, maybe might need some stitches. No, I'll just put some glue on it. No time for conversation. This doctor was focused. He was determined. He was efficient in how he used his time. There was no chat. 
You know, no bedside manner like, hey, Joel, how you doing? How's your day been? How's your pain from one to 10? How, how did you do, how did you hurt your eye, Joel? Shark attack? No. Was it a fight? How's the other guy? No. No, no chance for me to be able to explain to him, no, no, actually, this happened at Camp One. <laughs> this happened at Camp One. This happened literally after 30 seconds of me playing basketball when a kid with beautiful eyes called Jonah headbutted me. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to explain what Camp One was to this doctor. I didn't get a chance to explain to him that Camp One is this brilliant time where yearly the youth and men I go to Deer Park, where we open up God's Word and, and we learn about Jesus and we have a lot of fun. I didn't get a chance to explain how I love this camp, how I was baptized at the waters of Port Hacking River, how I've seen so many kids and leaders grow, how I now got to see this week kids that I grew, I mean, sorry, I lead, grow up to be leaders who did a fantastic job of leading kids and youth themselves. I didn't get a chance to explain how much I love this youth ministry in this camp, but also I didn't get a chance to explain how much I, I hate this camp because it's more like camp one more injury for Joel Deacon. Like I got knocked out at this camp a few years ago. I remember one time I got tackled at camp and I got up and my back was like this. And I was like, hey guys, is my back straight? Like, no. And now I've got another scar for the memories. I went into Miranda Medical Center after getting hit by Jonah, which was nice of him. Um, and I took my laptop thinking, you know what, I'm going to be in there for hours, right? Like whenever you go to the doctors, it always takes forever. I went in and I kid you not, I was in and out within four minutes. Like it was impressive how focused, how efficient, how effective this place was at helping people. Like the doctor knew his job. He was determined, he was focused, he was devoted to his work. His devotion was inspiring. Like, as I, as I left the surgery and I got some Messina ice cream, as you do when you're in Miranda, it made me think, what could the church learn from this doctor's surgery? Uh, Bruce Dingle used to be the senior pastor here at Menai Anglican, did a fantastic job. Now, now we have Andrew here, a godly and gifted man who was an answer to prayer. Uh, but something that Bruce used to say all the time, and I'm sure you remember this, is that he used, to, he used to say that the church is not meant to be an entertainment ship. It's not meant to be a cruise liner with, with good entertainment, with good worship, music to entertain you, some good dinner afterwards, and some, some good sermons to make you smarter sinners. No, instead, the church exists to be a hospital ship. A place for the wounded, for the weak, for the broken, for the desperate. It's meant to be a place where the gospel is pre preached on repeat and souls are called to repent and believe in Jesus. And yet too often churches lose their focus, don't they? Too often they drift when it comes to mission. They become comfortable and they become complacent like bad doctor surgeries. <laughs> forget why they exist, they come slow, they come passive, they come unhelpful, and they come incredibly frustrating. Too many churches, they, they would never say this, but they care more about tradition than they care about mission. Too many churches, I never say this, but, but they rely more on programs than they do on prayer. Too many churches, I never say this, but they preach the gospel in here, but they never preach the gospel out there. Too many Christians have become 
disconcerted, become content with the low impact of the good news of Jesus in this generation. We think about the good old days and how lots of people used to go to church and we don't think about the future and expectantly hope and wait to see the gospel saving more people. We live in a post-Christian secular society now, uh, in a society and a country that is growing rapidly in number but declining in faith. Like as someone who, I guess, has lived, hasn't lived in the Shire for about six, seven years now, as I came back and went to Miranda and had my pistachio ice cream, you know, with my head wound, you know, I was looking around Miranda like, whoa, you know, like this place is growing. And it's, that's the case, not just for Miranda, but for most of the Shire, for most Australian cities, even like Wollongong, they're becoming more urbanized, globalized, digitalized communities. Yes, COVID has slowed some things down. But nevertheless, our country is growing, which is why we need more churches to be planted and existing churches to grow and multiply. The vast majority, unfortunately, of Australians don't know Jesus or don't even really know someone who genuinely follows him. And yet, interestingly, many Australians are open actually to talking about Jesus, are open to talking about matters of the faith. Potentially, you're here at church for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time. And I'm sure you're probably open to a conversation about spiritual um, realities. You see, church exists to explain Jesus to people. And yet I think personally what's probably the hardest soil is not actually the everyday Australian, but instead is the everyday Australian Christian who has bought the lie that, that our friends and our family and those who don't know Jesus don't want to have a conversation about him. You see, I think our biggest problem is not that the gospel doesn't save. Our biggest problem is that we just don't believe that it does save or that we have stopped caring about souls who don't know Jesus. The greatest, sorry, in his book, Revival by Martin Lowe-Jones, he says these words, which I'm reading at the moment, I find really helpful. He says, the greatest problem confronting us in the church today is the vast majority of professing Christians are not convinced of the reality and the desirableness of revivals. In other words, the greatest problem in the church today is an apathy towards mission. Now, more than ever, is a time for resurgence. What is resurgence? Resurgence is an increase in missional activity after a period of little activity. Resurgence means arising again into life. But how do we bring about resurgence? Well, how do we see souls saved and disciples made? Well, here in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us two tips. Two tips. And the two tips that are helpful for men are Anglican as a church, but also for men are Anglican youth. Because if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, then you need to understand that you want to share the good news of Jesus with other people so they can know the good news of Jesus as well. And the two tips that the Apostle Paul has for us in this passage are pretty simple. Tip number one is this, pray, pray, pray. And tip number two is engage, engage, engage. Have a look at verses 2 to 4 with me as Apostle Paul begins with his first tip, pray, pray, pray. In verse 2, Apostle Paul says these words, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
For those of you who do not know, the Apostle Paul was this uh, religious dude. He was, a, he was a Jew and he was a Pharisee and he was pretty zealous. And so when Jesus first came, he didn't think Jesus was God. And so he actually went around hunting and hurting Christians until one time when he was on the road to Damascus to, to hunt some more Christians down, uh, Jesus showed up, blinded him, rebuked him. And, and then Paul turned, repented, believed in Jesus, and then almost immediately started proclaiming the gospel himself. And he became this gospel beast who was just like planting churches left, right, and center, making disciples wherever he went, to the point that he actually ended up in jail. And when he was in jail, unable to plant more churches, he then wrote letters to encourage other churches. And Colossians is one of those letters. And notice his prayer requests here to the Colossians. He asked them to pray for him that there be open doors for the message the message and the mystery of Christ. Now, what is the message and mystery of Christ? It's the good news of the gospel, of the gospel, which is pretty incredible, right? Like Paul, he's in jail. He's in chains. He is lonely. He is hungry. Like if I was him, my prayer request would be that I get out of jail. Not Paul. He prays that the gospel may continue to go forward. Now, what is the gospel, you might be thinking? Well, it is the good news of Jesus, the bad news of our sin, and the good news of Jesus. Uh, this week at camp, I've been sharing with these kids a whole bunch of uh, stories when I used to go scuba diving, uh, being that it's you know, a nautical theme with an anchor, I thought there's relevance there, and it ties in. Uh, so I want to tell you another story. Um, uh, a few years ago, when I was scuba diving with my dad, uh, we went to this location where there was an old torpedo which was pretty cool. And so we wanted to go see this torpedo, but on this day, the current was incredibly strong. And so we're 20 meters below the surface. Uh, and as we're uh, swimming, we had to actually swim quite like, like strongly towards this location. Um, and, and as a result of that, we got a bit, you know, puffed. I know it sounds strange, you're underwater, but you just breathe more heavily. <sighs> And, and, you, and your legs get a bit tired and you get a bit exhausted. It's almost like going for like a bit of a light jog. And anyway, as we'll, uh, we're just swimming towards this torpedo on this day, unfortunately, my regulator, that's the thing you use to breathe, started to play up. So instead of getting clean oxygen, I got a little bit of oxygen and a fair bit of salt. When you're 20 meters underwater and you're looking at the surface, you got no time to swim to the surface. I started to freak out. I was desperate for air. In those few seconds, I was helpless, I was hopeless, and I needed to be rescued. You know, for the last four nights at Camp One, uh, we've learned about the bad news of the gospel. I've, I've been trying to unpack from us from, from Colossians how, how each of us, unfortunately, are, are rebellious creatures who, who uh, sin, that's rebel against God by, by nature, by choice, and also by habits. Uh, like, for example, when I talk about sinful by nature, what I mean by that is my kids, who I just showed you a photo of before, uh, they inherit my height, uh, my basketball skills, my clumsiness, if I'm honest with you, um, but also my impatience and my anger. They, they, they inherit my nature, and so you've inherited the same from your parents. We, and, and as a result, each of us is, is sinful by nature. But then, of course, we're also sinful by choice. We do what we shouldn't do, and... We don't do what we should do. But then also, I tried to unpack to these guys last night, but not only are we sinful by nature and by choice, we're also sinful by habit. After years, our bad 
choice, our choices to, to be angry when, when someone annoys us or to be greedy, they become default reactions of our character. They become vices, harmful habits that become part of who you are. The famous German theologian, Martin Luther, who helped the Reformation a few years ago, or quite a few years ago, um, he once described sin as homo incubatus, a Latin word which means humankind turn in on itself. Like, I hope you understand that, that, that sin doesn't just affect your, your relationship with God, it affects your relationship with others, but also it affects your relationship with yourself. You become someone you do not want to become. And Colossians tells us, lovingly but bluntly, that because of our sin, we are in darkness, in need of redemption. We are enemies with God, in need of reconciliation. We are dead in our sin, in need of revival. Without Jesus, we are helpless and hopeless, like I was 20 meters underwater on that day. And look, I know if you're visiting church for the first time tonight, you're like, man, this is offensive. And like, it is, no doubt. And yet, if you think about it, if, if, there, if there is a God, and obviously I believe that there is, and if he is objectively true and righteous and good, then surely he wouldn't be impressed with some of our words or our thoughts or our actions. You know, like, unfortunately, all of us have got some sin and some shame, some secrets that we, that we wish no one would ever find out about us. And yet, we just, our culture wants us to hide them or justify them or just minimize them. Whereas the Bible wants to speak into them. The Bible wants to bring sin into light so that you may be saved and redeemed and have hope and forgiveness. You see, the bad news of the gospel is that we are more sinful than we could possibly imagine. And yet the good news of the gospel is also that we are more loved beyond what we could possibly believe, that there is a Savior, there is a Redeemer, that there is a Reconciler, that there is Jesus. You see, in Colossians, we learn that He is the God-man, that He was 100% man, 100% vulnerable like us, that He was breakable, and yet He was also 100% God made in the image of God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the boss of the church. And then he went to the cross to suffer for our sin and shame, to nail it at the cross so we may have the hope of forgiveness. That is the good news of the gospel. That day when I was underwater panicking, I was saved by swimming over to my dad and grabbing his emergency regulator so I could breathe in oxygen. And oh, it tasted so good. The good news is the gospel is that you can be saved from yourself. You can be saved from this sin by admitting your rebellion, by believing in Jesus, and by committing to following him. This week at camp, many youth decided to do those three things, to admit their sin, believe in Jesus, and commit to following him as their king. And tonight, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you can do the same thing just by praying a simple prayer of those ABCs, by admitting your sin, believing in Jesus, and committing to following him. But maybe you're thinking, that sounds simple, but, but what is prayer? <laughs> like, if I'm going to pray, I don't quite understand what prayer is. Well, Let's chat about prayer. 
Because that prayer is basically a big point that the Apostle Paul wants us to learn from Colossians here tonight. And so what is prayer? Well, I like how Tim Keller, he's just a, a pastor in America, smarter, older, better looking than me. And um, he defines prayer as a conversation and an encounter with the Lord. And I love this. I love this. Prayer is a conversation where you get to chat with God like he's your friend or your father because he is your heavenly father. But, but more than it being a conversation, it's an encounter where, where you humble yourself before the Lord and you're reminded of his bigness and his beauty. It's not necessarily reciting formal words, although you can pray that way if it helps. It's a conversation. Personally, um, I have a tendency to, to live life and fast forward. Uh, if you know anything about me, uh, Emma and I got married young, uh, we had kids young, uh, you probably picked up on the fact that I speak quickly, uh, and I really don't like walking slowly. I know what it is, I just don't like to walk slowly. But then last year, I remember one day, I had this Zoom meeting with my uh, psychologist who I was catching up with, and he said to me, Joel, for the sake of your mental health and for the sake of your prayer life, you need to learn to slow down. I remember saying, thanks, that's good advice. Quickly, closed the laptop, and then ran inside. I literally ran inside. I had a man shed outside in Melbourne, so I ran inside. And as I ran inside and went into my bedroom, I kid you not, I broke a mirror in our house. And I was like, oh, that's annoying. I need to slow down. Later on that day, actually after I broke the mirror, I was like, oh, that's annoying. And then I quickly went to work. And then later on that day, I then got a letter in the mail. Uh, and you probably know this, uh, parents, nothing good ever comes in the mail these days. Um, and it was a speeding ticket. Whoa, I need to slow down. The Lord had my attention. And this, this happened to me when I was in hard lockdown in Melbourne. My, my wife and I, uh, we were in Melbourne for 30 months, for two and a half years, and 10 of those months was during lockdown uh, with our three kids who broke not one, not two, but three windows. That was nice. And in this season, the, the Lord slowed us down and almost forced us into this like old school, monastic sort of lifestyle where we were bored and yet also we were challenged to pray. The, the Lord convicted me as our plans for church planning were just thrown out the window, which was frustrating, that the Lord wanted us to pray. That if we want to see souls be saved and disciples made, that we need to be on our knees praying that what the church needs is not necessarily really good programs or social media, but is God's people praying. I needed to listen to the Apostle Paul here in Colossians 4 when he says, devote yourself to prayer. And look, to be honest with you, last year, was, it was a brutal year for like all of us. I'm sure that's the case. Um, it was hard for us. Um, you know, some kids, not our kids, but some kids at our school got COVID. That was pretty scary. Uh, our local supermarket was always on the hotspot list. Um, as a pastor, um, being a leader in a, in a large church, I, work in a, I went through five years of, of pastoral care cases in, in six months. As people lost their jobs, as people were struggling with mental health issues, as marriages were falling apart. And yet in this season, prayer became such a gift for my soul. It was gold for my soul, and it can be gold for you too. You know, daily I'd go for prayer walks around my neighborhood with my mask on and my one hour of exercise, and then I found this really cool 
park, which became my prayer park, and it had a prayer bench that was underneath this prayer tree. It was a place where I went to go spend time with the Lord, to be watchful of my life and my doctrine, to, to confess sin, to reflect on my heart and, and what's going on, to, and also to be thankful in a season of stress and suffering. Brother Lawrence, a man devoted to prayer, he once said that there's nothing sweeter than a continual conversation with God. I love that. Prayer is a gift. It's, it's, it's not a duty, it's a delight. I actually think it's one of the greatest gifts of the Christian faith. And look, I'm sure most of us in this room have prayed. Even if this is the first time you've come to church. Like, I'm pretty sure you've probably tried prayer once, maybe during suffering or sickness or when someone was dying, and you're desperate. And what I love about the Christian faith is that the Lord Jesus models to us prayer, but also invites us to pray, to, to hassle our Heavenly Father for things and to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. One of my favorite passages on, on prayer is in, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 6, where Jesus says these words. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? For those of you in the room who have been following Jesus for a little while, can I encourage you to believe in the power of prayer? You know, like, let's be honest, too often we stop praying because we get discouraged because prayers don't get answered the way we want them to be answered. We think that what is in our hands are stones and snakes, that God is not answering our prayers when in reality what he's actually giving you is fish and bread. Like when I was in Melbourne going through those difficult times, I was like, man, Lord, why are you cursing me with all these things? And yet he was actually blessing me so that I'd learn about the gift of prayer. And if you're new to following Jesus, maybe you committed to following Jesus this week at camp, can I encourage you to lean into and learn about the gift of prayer? When you are anxious, Apostle Paul says, pray. When you are desperate or you're down and depressed and you're longing for joy, pray. When you're anxious about exams or the finances or the future, come before the Lord and knock and ask for help. Can I encourage you that when you feel alone or when you're feeling spiritually dry or distant from the Lord, lean into the gift of prayer. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to even try it. Try praying. Give it a crack. And as you do, though, I do encourage you, don't, don't try and treat Jesus like a genie. Don't try and test him. No, instead, come before him and in faith, believe, okay, there is a God and he's here to help me. And see what happens. You see, Paul encourages the Colossians to pray and he says, be devoted. That's a challenge. 
But like I mentioned before, what's also quite challenging about the Apostle Paul is while he's in jail, while he's cold, while he's alone, and he says, be devoted to pray, his prayer request is not that he be warm, not that he be released, but instead that the gospel may go forward. And he does that to model to us that we need to keep on praying that more people come to know Jesus and to keep believing that for people to be saved, prayers need to be prayed. Last year, uh, as I had lots of time, I suppose, I read a few books on prayer. And uh, one book I read was by George Muller. Oh, sorry, it was the autobiography of George Muller. Uh, he was this godly man who uh, created a whole bunch of orphanages uh, in Britain, um, in Bristol. Um, and I came, as I was reading his book, I came across something that was really striking and challenging uh, and encouraging. You see, in, in November 1844, a long time ago, George Muller began praying that five of his friends come to know Jesus. And he would pray every day, rain, hail, or shine, if he was sick, or if he was healthy, he would pray. 18 months after he first started praying, the first one came to follow Jesus. Muller praised the Lord, and then he kept on praying. Five years later, the second one became a follower of Jesus. Muller praised the Lord, and then kept on praying. Six years later, a third became a follower of Jesus. Muller praised the Lord and then kept on praying for the other two. 36 years after he started praying for these five people, Muller said these words, Beloved, brethren and sisters, go on waiting upon God. Go on praying. Only be sure you ask for things that according to the mind of God, for he does not desire the death of the sinner. This is the revelation God has made of himself not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Go on, therefore, praying, expect an answer, look for it, and in the end you will have it and praise God for it. A few years later, the fourth one became a follower of Jesus, and then after Muller died, I think a year later, the fifth one started to follow Jesus. Church, can I ask you, is there anyone in your life that you have stopped praying for? Can I ask you, do you believe in the power of prayer? For months, I had been praying for this, this camp, for Camp One, praying that, that, that yeah, the youth would grow in their love for Jesus, praying that, that many would commit or recommit to following Jesus. And here on Thursday night, there's also people here praying as well for this camp. Oh, how these prayers please the Lord. As Emma and I start church planning in Wollongong, um, people keep on asking us, hey, what's your plan of attack? What's your strategy? What, what are the cool things you're trying to do? And, I, and my answer is literally, we are just praying a lot for open doors for the gospel. Oh, Mene, may you continue to be praying for open doors for the gospel here. But I know, look, that prayer is maybe not easy for many. And so I want to give you three practical tips for those who are new to following Jesus or those who have been following Jesus for a while uh, when it comes to prayer, which I think you'll find helpful. And so let me give you some three quick tips. Uh, the first tip that I have for you is never resist prayer. Never resist prayer. Uh, a quote that I love by Martin Lone Jones is this. He says, always respond to every impulse to pray. Never resist, never postpone it, never push it aside because you are busy. Uh, many of us struggle to form a consistent time of prayer throughout the day. So my encouragement to you is whenever you think about praying, pray. Uh, it could be as you're walking to school, walking to work, getting a coffee, going to bed at night. But whenever you get a desire to pray, pray. Tip number one. Tip number two, find a place. 
Uh, You probably should know this about yourself, but all of us are creatures of our environments. We are creatures of habits, but also you can shape your environment and shape your habits. Uh, So if you want to start a discipline of prayer, then I encourage you to have a place. I encourage you to have a chair, uh, to have a bench, to have a tree, to have a lounge, uh, to have a park. Uh, Personally, in Wollongong, I have a prayer mountain. That's pretty cool. Um, Encourage you to find something, an environment for you to pray. And tip number three is find inspiration. Open up God's words and and look at the passages on prayer. Uh, I love, love, love Philippians 4 verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. I love that. The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious. Pray. But also I encourage you, if you're a reader, read books on prayer. Uh, my favorite book last year was uh, by Lee, uh, Lee, sorry, Ravenhill, Leonard Ravenhill, a book called Why Revival Tarries. And uh, man, I love this book. Like this dude was this old school evangelist. Uh, man, he, he was great. Anyway, I've got a quote for you that I just want to spur you on to, to pray. This is, this is his words. He says, no man or woman is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty is stricken as the church is today in many things. She is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Church, if we want to see... Resurgence, if we want to see more people come to know the beauty, truth, and relevance of Jesus, we need to be people of prayer. Pray, pray, pray. That's tip one. I spent a lot of time there. Let's look at tip two, and I'll do this one a lot quicker, just so you know. Look at verse five with me. Paul says these words, and his second tip is engage, engage, engage. In verse five, he says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer every one. Look, my encouragement here is when it comes to mission uh, and resurgence, there's no secret formula. It's just engage, engage, engage. Keep on loving people. Keep inviting people to youth groups, to church. Keep on showing hospitality, befriending your neighbors, befriending kids at school, and keep on trusting in the gospel that saves and also the Bible. Like, like I said before, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. I know it says some things which are controversial, but the Bible defends itself. Like I love how Charles Spurgeon says that the Bible is like a lion. You don't need to defend it. And so don't be ashamed of it. And so especially for those of you in youth, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of following Jesus. It is good news that saves you and can save others. And for those of you who are not at the youth age like me, oh, can I encourage you to keep on engaging, to keep on trying, to keep on getting involved in your community, to keep on getting to know your neighbors, to keep on praying, and to keep on trying to befriend those who don't know Christ. And be wise. Be gracious. Open your mouth. Speak the gospel in a patient, loving, not judgmental way. But do so with boldness and joy, because it's good news. 
It changes lives. We've seen that this week at camp. Um, it's been a real joy uh, to preach at this camp. It really has. It's been a real privilege. So, so thank you for inviting me uh, to be able to see uh, more kids follow Christ. Um, a friend of mine called Sam, she actually became a follower of Jesus at Camp One 12 years ago. On a similar night uh, where it was a call to respond, she decided to follow Jesus. And she was praying this week uh, for Camp One uh, uh, as well. And she posted on social media about her faith recently that I just want to read out just to encourage you how the Lord has been at work and will continue to save people. She said these words. She said, I've been a Christian for 12 years now, and it has changed everything for me. The one thing humanity can be sure of is that one day we'll all stand at the doorway of death, and possibly sooner than we, what we think, and we'll all take a final breath. Yet the beauty is Jesus died so I didn't have to. He rose so that I could be confident that I too will rise into eternal life. Death is defeated and my king is alive. And for that, I'll be forever thankful. Men Anglican, men Anglican youth, I love you. I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my prayers. I love you to be praying for us as well. Keep on preaching the gospel. Keep on believing that it saves Keep on believing that Jesus is the ultimate anchor of your soul. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, that even though we're in darkness, he comes and redeems us into the kingdom of light. Even though we're enemies with God, he comes and reconciles us to be friends. Even though we were dead in our sins, he comes and makes us alive. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who also renews us and gives us a second chance and a new life but also that you're a God who wants to see resurgence, a God that wants to see more people come to know Christ. And so, Lord, I pray you help us as a church. I pray you help us as a youth group to be people of prayer, that trust in the power of prayer, and that people that then go out and engage and love those who don't know Christ and share the good news of the gospel with them. I thank you for this church, and I thank you for tonight, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.